All right. There are moments in life where you may have something, and then all of a sudden, that ends. And you may enjoy something, you may love something, uh, and then all of a sudden, it's gone from you. Uh, let me give you an example. When uh, I was growing up, I loved playing basketball. Really enjoyed it. I would uh, wake up in the morning, I would go out and play. When I became older and could drive, I would drive down to the parks in downtown Chicago, and I would play there. Uh, I loved playing basketball. Played in uh, middle school, played in high school, had opportunity to play in college, uh, I didn't because of a girl, stupid, uh, but uh, I, uh, I had those opportunities. And I kept playing even after high school and college. In fact, when I was in my 30s, I would meet with several other people, and uh, we would meet at the community college in Texas, and, and we would uh, go and play at 6 a.m. in the morning, four to five days a week we, we would play. There was one day, it looked like a very natural, very simple play. It, the ball had kind of ricocheted off one of my teammates and was heading out of bounds. And I thought to myself in my head, I can get that, right? And so I took off and I extended out, dove a little bit, got the ball, turned, passed it to one of my teammates. And, you know, the, if this was on TV, the camera would have panned, you know, to that teammate. And if you followed me through, you found out that I just smashed against the wood floor, which... Of course, you play basketball, you've done that hundreds of times. But this time, there was something different. There was this like pain that radiated down through my legs, starting in my back and just moving down. And I was like, I don't know if I can get up. Like, oh my goodness, I've never felt pain quite like this. In fact, I had to uh, get, a drive, get someone to drive me home that day. And uh, we rode home about a year and a half journey. I found myself uh, in front of a surgeon uh, to repair some herniated discs. I was actually walking through this when uh, I was interviewing here at Baylife. There was a couple that came out uh, to talk to me, Fred and Eileen Stubbs, and we had dinner, and I couldn't sit down. Like I was missing, you, you think you have like, you're sitting there comfortably and you look like you're enjoying yourself sitting in those seats, um, and you take that for granted. And then all of a sudden, when you can't sit down because there's that much pain. So we went out to eat, and literally, I'm at the table like this on my knees because the motion of actually sitting on my seat would just fire, pain, just pouring down the legs. I remember I had the surgery, and the neurosurgeon said to me, he said, listen, you can keep playing basketball, and I'll see you back here in five to seven years. Or you can change your lifestyle and uh, you'll be able to throw the football with your kids when they get older. Your choice. So I said goodbye to something that I loved. It changed, right? Something that you had, something that you took for granted, something that you enjoyed was all of a sudden gone. Now, those of us who are in the room who have been aging, we probably have those moments in our life that things have changed for us. Things that we used to be able to do or used to enjoy, we just can't do anymore physically. This is kind of this passage that we roll up to here in 1 Samuel. Uh, the Israelites had been enjoying God speaking to them, God's presence, God talking to them. And what we find in this passage is that had gone away. He was no longer communicating. Visions were rare, weren't happening. All through their history, God has spoken directly to their leaders to lead them. Moses, Joshua. And here we've moved through the time of judges and we've arrived at Eli and God's not 
speaking. Those that never knew what they lost were kind of confused and wondering, okay, is that such a big deal? But those that had been around for a while were like, man, will we ever be able to do that? Would they get his voice back? Now our account is in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1 through 11. So before I jump into there, let me, uh, let me pray for our time together. So would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much that uh, we had the opportunity to come together today to remember your goodness, uh, to remember your faithfulness, uh, to be reminded of how you've been pursuing us, uh, to be reminded of the work that you did on the cross with communion. Representations and reminders of your goodness were all over the service. And so God, as we now walk into your word, God, I pray that you would speak through it, that you would move me out of the way, that you would say the things you want said this morning, that you would encourage and challenge us. May we hear from you. It's in your name, Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. So chapter 3, verse 1, we pull up here and it says this, Now the boy, Samuel, was ministering to the Lord in the presence of of Eli. Now, this is a huge statement of hope, of change. It's exciting, and yet we can miss it because here we are kind of pulling into chapter three after really not studying Samuel for a little while. We've, we, had, we were in Samuel, and then we took a little break, and now we're back in Samuel, and so we might miss the significance of this statement. So let me do this. Let me do just kind of a little review the players who are in this chapter. Uh, we have Eli. He is a priest. He is old at this point in time. In fact, he is going to be moving from being the head priest and someone would follow him after that. This is a natural succession that's going to take place. And typically, that would involve, uh, that would be his sons. His sons would be the ones that would become the priest after him. But there was a problem. His sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they were evil. Uh, they, uh, in fact, scripture says this about them in chapter 2. They did not know the Lord. In other words, uh, they saw the Lord, they, they understood some of those things, but they basically gave him the Heisman. They're like, we, I want, we want nothing to do with you. And so even though they were supposed to be the priests, even though they're supposed to be the mediators between God and the people, they were corrupt and they did not uh, want to engage the Lord. So there was an evil uh, presence with them. Now here's the thing, Eli did nothing about it. He allowed this to continue. He didn't remove them from their position. So in a very real sense, Eli was okay with it. And then God comes along and casts judgment on this family and says this family will be cut off from their position. They'll no longer have uh, the, and enjoy the position that they have. These are dark days. Uh, these are dark times. And yet in the middle of that, uh, we get this glimmer of hope. In Samuel, whom God is preparing to lead the nation of Israel. And so these statements, now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. These statements have appeared. This is the fifth one as we've walked through the first couple chapters of Samuel. These are these bright spots of hope in an otherwise dark and gloomy situation. Uh, Samuel has progressed from being a boy who served the Lord under the direct supervision of Eli, the priest, to taking on the priestly garment himself, 
uh, to personal growth with the Lord, Scripture tells us, to a youth in good standing with God and with the people too, to now the person we see here at Shiloh who is ministering before the Lord. He's serving the Lord. These are these great little moments of hope. In other words, God's saying, hey, listen, I know times are dark. I know it seems bad. I know I've been quiet, but look at this kid. Look at this kid. Look how he's growing. Look how he's growing to serve the Lord. He's about 12 years old at this time. The rest of that verse says this, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. God had spoken directly to the people under Moses and Joshua. His word had led the nation through their victories and sometimes through their defeats when they disobeyed him. But all the, all the while, he had c- continued to speak to them. Now under Eli's priesthood, God had gone quiet. There was no word. Well, why? Well, this phrase right here, those days, gives us a glimpse of why. This is the time when the priest at Shiloh, particularly Eli's sons, did not follow after the Lord. In fact, they had contempt for the Lord. These priests that were appointed by God to be mediators between God and men not only didn't do their responsibilities, but they abused the people. Personally, when God's not speaking into our lives, we move without direction. When God's not speaking to us, we wander aimlessly. We become okay and we become settled in the things that hurt us. Uh, the things that, the destructive behaviors that destroy our relationships. We become okay with sin. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is a word from God rare in our lives today? Now, you might be thinking, well, wait a second. It's not like back in the Old Testament. It's not like Samuel where he didn't have the word of God. I mean, you know, now we have the Old Testament. We have all of the faithfulness of God that we see through the history of Israel. And now we have the New Testament, which is that new covenant. And uh, God has walked in flesh in the personhood of Jesus on the earth. And we get to see how he interacted uh, with mankind. And we have all of that together in this book that we're looking at. So, of course, God is speaking through that. But here's my question. Personally, is a word from God rare in your life? In other words, if I was to ask you about this last week and how frequently that you heard God's voice as it shouted or whispered from Scripture, what would you say? Keep reading with me. At that time, Eli whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so he could not see, was lying down in his old place, in his own place. Now, Eli was very old, which isn't a bad thing, but uh, we're given some physical descriptions of him. His eyesight was failing. He's living in darkness. Now, no doubt, this is part of the unwelcome process of getting older, uh, the deterioration that accompanies old age. Like, I, I brought these up with me because if my computer goes down, I got to put them on to fix it or else I cannot see. Uh, I didn't have to bring these up five years ago. It, it wasn't really a thing. Uh, I'm looking around, and some of you guys who maybe have grown older realize that certain things kind of break down over time, right? And that you need certain things at certain times. And so, no disrespect to Eli, but the writer 
has chosen to highlight this particular aspect of Eli's decline immediately after saying and mentioning that there was no frequent vision from God. In other words, Eli's physical condition was a reflection of his spiritual reality. Things had gone dark for him. The other physical detail we get here is that Eli is distant from God's presence. He's in his own place. Keep reading with me. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So what's this ark of God? Now, you may have heard it referred to as the ark of the covenant or the ark of the tabernacle. This is actually the first mention of the ark here in 1 Samuel. So there's some questions we should ask. What is it? Why is it important? I mean, some of us in the room, our first uh, exposure to the ark might have been this movie. Right? I just lost everyone under 40, but that's okay. Scripture says this. The ark of God was was a gold-plated wooden box. It was about 45 inches by about 27 inches by about 27 inches. Now, it contained the stone tablets of the law with the words engraved in it, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, the ark is where the presence of the Lord resided. As long as the ark was in the temple, God's presence was among his people. In other words, Samuel here is described as being close to God's presence. Now, we're given another detail in this story. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. Now, the lamp, this lamp that was uh, inside the temple, was supposed to burn all day and all night. But they would eventually run out of oil. And so they had two two times during the day that they would fill it up. They'd fill it up once in the morning and once at night. And so what this kind of gives us some indication of is that there is a time frame involved here. In other words... This is happening right in the early morning hours of uh, the morning, kind of just as night is finishing. The light is still there. It hasn't gone out yet. It's not time to refill the oil yet. And so on one hand, the writer's given us a physical description detail. It's still nighttime, early morning hours. And yet on the other hand, the writer has just told us about darkness represented by God's silence and Eli's blindness. But this detail holds Good news. That good news is that God's lamp has not yet gone out, which suggests that even though God has been silent, he has not abandoned his people. He's still present. He's still there. Now, let's pause for a second, and let's compare kind of what we've learned about Eli and about Samuel, kind of the compare and contrast. We're going to look at some of their physical characteristics, some of their attitudes, some of their placement, some of their actions of what's been described to us so far in this passage. Now, Eli, he's, we found out he's settled with sin. Like, he's not, you know, diving in probably in, in, in himself, but he's okay with it in his midst. He's like, well, you know, like, what can I really do about these things here? I mean, you know, should I really remove them from the priesthood? He's kind of settled with it. He's okay with it. <clears throat> where you have Samuel pursuing holiness. We've been given these five little descriptions which tells us he's serving the Lord, he's pursuing the Lord, he's growing in the Lord, he's walking with the Lord, he's ministering to the Lord. And we see these these, uh, statements that give us a glimpse that he's pursuing holiness. So there's a difference between the two. Eli, he is 
struggling with blindness and struggling living in darkness, uh, spiritually speaking as well as physically speaking. And then you have Samuel. He has his sight. He is living near the light where the lamp is. Eli's location, there's distance away from God. There's distance away from Ark. His physical distance describes his relationship, his spiritual relationship with the Lord. And Samuel is close by in God's presence, we're told. Looking at these two lists, which side would you place your name on? Which list describes the condition of your heart right now? Do, Do you find yourself being okay with sin? I mean, you know, not the, not the bad, bad stuff, but just kind of like the subtle stuff. I'm, I'm okay living like that, right? Or do you find yourself wanting to pursue holiness? Do, do you find yourself walking in spiritual darkness or walking in spiritual light? Would you characterize the position of your heart right now as moving away from God or moving towards God? Which direction would you Describe yourself. In other words, if we're not hearing from God, we should probably check our heart's location. Check our heart's location. Keep reading. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, here I am. Now it's clear on this occasion the word of the Lord is an audible voice to Samuel, that he hears something. And his answer here, here I am, is really just a one-word Hebrew answer, which also has in it kind of more subtle indication that he recognizes that he's a servant, that he hears and that he's willing to obey. So he's willing to move in this moment. And he ran to Eli and he said, here I am for you called me. But he, being Eli here, said, "I, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and he lay down. Now, Samuel here is probably on his way back to bed wondering, well, what the heck? I could have sworn I heard, you know, my name being called. Uh, Who else would call me besides Eli? Like, the priest is, you know, kind of going blind. If he needs something, I'm the guy he calls. So I I imagine there's a little confusion. Also, it's probably not too uh, exciting to wake up an older man uh, who is sleeping during the night to say, hey, man, do you call me? And kind of gets up grumpy. Uh, I, I don't know about your house, but in my house, my kids definitely did not wake me up. Uh, they learned really quickly that I just wake up kind of like a grizzly bear. I'm like, whoa, 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 you know, kind of loud and, and harsh. And, you know, their mom's more like, what's up? What's wrong? Are you okay? You know, very soft and gentle uh, f- for that. So uh, when the kids come into my, our, our room, they were like, and we're walking all the way around to mom because they just knew. So here's this 12-year-old kid waking him up and going, Oh, goodness, I could have sworn I heard you call me. It's probably walking back just a little bit confused. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli, and he said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now picture that. Do you think Eli walked into the, his room with a little bit more trepidation this time? Like, I know he told me he didn't call me last, but I totally heard him this time. Like, He's not punking me, right? I'm supposed to go in and serve him. I'm supposed to go in and help him. The phrase here, I love uh, Eli's response. He said, I did not call my son. The phrase my son reveals that he has a tenderness for Samuel. He's not angry at him. He's not mad at him. He's realizing something's going on. So he, he has this love and affection for Samuel, who's been serving him 
uh, over this time. Now, here's where we get kind of this confusing statement where it describes why this is happening. And it leads to kind of this disclaimer that we're like, what? Here's what it says. Now Samuel did not know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. Now, that's a strange thing to say based on what we've heard so far. In in chapter 2, when he talked about the brothers, Hophni and Phinehas, and, and their rebellion against God, the words that he used were, and they did not know the Lord. It's the exact same wording here. And Samuel did not know the Lord. And you're like, wait a second, hold on. I, I thought for, you know, these five statements, he's been serving the Lord. He's been in the temple. He's been hanging out with the Lord. He's been growing in the Lord. How can he not know the Lord? What does that mean? He doesn't know the Lord. With the brothers, it was they had the opportunity and they turned their back on him. With Samuel, it's more of an ignorance, like they have not experienced, he has not experienced the Lord in this way yet. This experience of being addressed by the Lord was completely new to him. He hadn't had the experience of receiving a personal word from God. There was also this caution in verse 7, I think applies to us today. Don't confuse proximity to God with a relationship with God. Samuel could have easily just said, well, I'm serving the Lord in the tabernacle. I'm hanging out here. That's good enough. And yet, God wanted something deeper for him. Put it in our terms. We might say, well, I I greet here. I stand at the doors and I welcome people. I I rock babies here. I I park cars. I, I stand in security. I help with the new people when they come in. Hear my heart on this. Don't mistake proximity with a growing depth in a relationship with God. God's calling you into deeper relationship. He's drawing you in. He's begging. He's pleading to go and enjoy this relationship more. The Lord called Samuel a third time, and he arose, and he went to Eli. Do you think he was like, all right, where else can I go? But it's probably not him but I'm just going to try it because I keep hearing these voices. And he went to Eli and he said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Old Eli here recognized that something was happening, that there was a communication going on. He's like, this kid's come in my room three times saying I called him. Perhaps someone else is calling him. His eyesight had grown blind, but he was not, or dim, but he was not completely blind. We need help sometimes, don't we? As we walk this journey of following Jesus. We need sometimes people who have been there, who have experienced things, who are a little bit older, who can kind of help us along the way. I'm 52 now, and I'm going to tell you, I know a little bit more than I did when I was 18. I mean, just, you know, just a touch, right? You've grown a little bit in, in walking with Jesus. And so my obligation, my responsibility is to look back and go, hey, who can I help in their walk with Jesus and grow? Who can I kind of come alongside of and, and go, man, you know, God might be doing this in your life. Have you noticed that? And it, when you look and kind of you're younger and walking with the Lord, you got to look around and go, man, who can help me? Who can help me understand what God's doing here and encourage me? We need those relationships. 
Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Eli gives him some instruction. He gives him some insight. He understands what's happening here. And he basically wants him to get his posture right. He wants him to get his heart ready to hear what God has to say. Those of you who have kids, when you're, you're speaking to your kids, you know when they're ignoring you, right? It's usually about posture. If they're younger and they're, they're out there playing with whatever toy and you're, you're talking to them, if they don't turn around and engage and look at you, you know they're probably not hearing much of what you're saying, right? It's go, uh, if they're older, if they're on their phone or on their computer and they don't, you know, put down that computer and look up at you or put down that phone and engage with eye contact with you, you're like, I'm hoping they get some of this, but chances are they're not hearing any of this, right? They're kind of ignoring in this moment. What, what Eli is saying to Samuel is, I want you to get your posture right. I want you to get your heart right. I want you to be ready to receive what God's about to say to you. And so I want you to kind of verbally look at it and say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. Don't freak out. God's speaking to you, but just acknowledge that he's speaking. The Lord came and stood, calling as at other times. I love that it describes here that the Lord's presence was in the room. It stood. Uh, he stood in the room. He said, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. Here's what I love about Samuel's answer. He doesn't get the words right. He doesn't get the words right. Do you, do you notice what he forgets, what, what, what Eli told him to say? What word did he leave out? Lord. Now, I love this. He leaves out Lord. Maybe he's overwhelmed in the moment. Uh, maybe he's just a little too excited. Maybe he doesn't want to say God's name wrong and address him wrong. Here's what I love about this. He may forget some of the words, stumble over the response a little bit, but he gets his heart's posture right. He gets his posture right. He is ready to receive from the Lord what the Lord wants to tell him. I love uh, gathering with young believers in a prayer circle and hearing them pray for the first time. These are some of my favorite prayers. Now, I had the opportunity to go to seminary, and I uh, got to learn under guys that are way smarter than I am, and sometimes they would pray, and it would be like a theological kind of discourse in there, and you'd be listening to these words and the depth that was in there, and you're like, oh, man, and then you're writing down some of the words so you can go look them up later to figure out what he said, you know, kind of thing, and it just has this overall depth. I would trade all of those for the new believer in a prayer circle with simple statements of like, Lord, I need you. Lord, I, I'm lost without you. Please help. There's an earnestness in that. The posture is right. Eli gives Samuel such great advice, words that move his heart into the right position. Yeah, he recognizes, these words kind of recognizes what his position is in the relationship. God is God, and I am the servant. I'm the servant of God Almighty, not the other way around. It's a correct position to receive. Speak, for your servant hears. 
Here's the question for us. Is your heart ready and in a position to receive what God is trying to communicate to you? If you're not hearing from the Lord, not only check your location, but check your heart's posture. Have you slowed down enough, put away the distractions long enough, and been willing to just listen? I think there's some implications in this that it happened early in the morning when there wasn't the hustle and bustle that was going on in the temple that where life goes. There was kind of this slow down moment where he gets to hear from the Lord. Well, how do I do this? How do I know? How do I get my posture ready? Well, let me see if I can illustrate it this way. Uh, there are four of us here on staff who are, have been taking a preaching course together. And you might be saying, it's not working. Get your money back. Totally, totally fine with that. Uh, but this course, what it does is it identifies nine common mistakes that preachers make uh, when they talk to people, when they talk in front of people. And so uh, it's trying to help you to not make those nine common mistakes when they're communicating. Now, if you've been in church long enough, I'm pretty sure you've sat through all nine of these uh, common mistakes that uh, preachers make to kind of distract from where they're going in the message. And that's totally Totally true. But this course was put together by my friend and former senior pastor. His name's Pete Briscoe. And so part of the process is we watch the lesson, uh, we teach, and we record that, and then we have to watch our talk again. Now, there is nothing more uncomfortable than watching your sermon again the next day because you're like, oh, I totally blew that. Oh, I totally went that way that I wasn't supposed to. Oh, man, that was, that was really bad. We even kind of go like a next level. We gather in a room, and we watch each other's sermon, and then we critique, and we encourage, and we go, dude, what were you thinking there? Right? And, and we, we, uh, we encourage and, and build into each other with that. And it's uncomfortable. Now, one of the videos was talking through just a common mistake that preachers usually make. And here's what he suggested as you watch the replay, the video again of your time preaching. He, he, he basically says, get a bell, and when you see yourself going into that mistake, ring that bell as you're watching. And you're like, okay, really? I mean, like, what good, I, it's already over. What good is that going to be? Like, if I give, you know, a bell here to TJ, maybe if he sees me do it, he can ring the bell, and that's good memory. But you'd be amazed. When you start doing that, when you're speaking, and you kind of ring that bell, you're up here and you feel yourself wanting to go into the wrong area and the, the kind of this mistake of losing your audience way. And in your head, you're like, oh, I got to watch that on video and I'm going to have to ring a bell for this moment. Let's stay on track, right? Kind of a thing. And so it's, what it's doing, it's, it's reorienting your mind to stay engaged with how you teach. He actually calls it ringing the bell. And it repositions your minds. Now, I believe Eli gives Samuel a ringing the bell kind of statement here. It's a phrase not just to reposition his mind, but to reposition his heart. Uh, to get ready for uh, him to be able to hear what God's going to say. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. Now, this phrase communicates that I am listening, that I understand the relationship. It gets my heart ready to hear. I'm going to ask you to do something different just this week, just an experiment this week. Uh, I'm going to ask you to verbally say this out loud, literally use these words, speak, Lord, 
your servant hears. As a recognition of our need to hear from God. As a recognition to be encouraged, to be reminded of the truths that God speaks into our lives, the instruction that he speaks into our lives, our need to hear from him and to be led by him in our lives. Our weeks and our days and our moments should be defined by this statement. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. This week, as you open your Bible, as you do your personal devotions, and you, as you read Scripture, just stop right before you jump in. Just look up and just say these words. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. When you head to life group this week, when you pull into the driveway, or if you, your life group is here on campus, or if you're online and you, you're pulling up the Zoom deal and you're just about to log in, just pause, stop, listen, and just say to God, speak, Lord, your servant hears. As we gather together in community that we learn from each other, that we encourage each other, may you be receptive to what God is saying to you in those moments. May you position your heart and get ready for what God is doing. If you have a decision to make this week, maybe it's a major life decision, maybe it's kind of a minor one, just stop before you make the decision. And just say, speak, Lord. Your servant hears. As you come face to face with temptation this week, maybe that sin that you've always kind of struggled with, and you're looking at it, you're like, man, I just, I just really, I want to jump into this. I want to I go this direction. I want you to just, I know it sounds weird, I want you to just stop in that moment and just recite this. Speak, Lord. Your servant hears. Ring the bell this week. Reorient your heart to hear from God this week. It's not just when we gather together but in the moments when you gather outside of here. When you stop and you get before the Lord, get your position of your heart ready to hear what he has to say to you. I think if we truly declare those words, it says a couple things about our hearts. Uh, the first one is it says uh, that my heart is full of humility. In other words, I'm recognizing that I'm God's servant. And I am ready for him to speak into my life. I'm ready to hear. I'm ready to move. I'm ready to obey. There's humility there. The second element I think it really uh, speaks to is more of a desire, a hunger, uh, to hear from God, right? Uh, to place yourself underneath and ready to hear his word to you. As you try this week, this, this week, as you speak these words, may it position your heart with humility and desire to hear the truth that God needs to speak to you. We're sitting together. We're in the quietness of this room. I'm going to give you an opportunity right now just to close your eyes, bow your head, and just ask God, Speak, Lord. Your servant hears. My guess is for some of you, God's going to encourage you 
and remind you of your value, of how much he loves you. For others, he might just point out some area in your life that he's like, man, together we need to we need to walk through this. We need to get this out. But just take a moment and listen. says, then the Lord said to Samuel. His heart was in the right position. When his heart was in the right posture, God began to speak. He's going to close us out here with a song, and let me encourage you, as, as uh, we sing together, a reflection of this truth God has been challenging you, if God has been encouraging you, if God has been speaking to you and you just want someone to pray alongside of you, there are people in the prayer room that would love to pray with you. There'll be some folks up here, I'm going to be right down here, love to pray with you. If you're online, there are prayer partners that are just standing by right now that would love to pray with you. May we be a community willing to hear from the Lord.